And so what we decided we would do was to assign our abortion and witchcraft prayers to be prayed daily. And so what we want to do is offer those of you who are watching the opportunity. Can you post those, Miss Shannon? Shannon will post those <clears throat> on this. Um, we can put it on this video. And also we can just put it on our ministry page. You can put it on my personal page. So we'll just make sure that it's posted. Those of you who have Facebook accounts, please post them. So they'll be posted so that you can share. Uh, but we want to give as many people as possible to get into agreement and get on one accord. Uh, that is not to say that our prayer is the only prayer to pray. You know, people get offended about everything that's kind of like an assignment. But I think if you can allow God to help you to uh, come into agreement with the rest of the body of Christ about these things, I think it'll be more powerful, you know, and, and have more impact, spiritually speaking. So we are praying uh, these prayers daily in, a, in addition to our regular watch that we pray. We have been praying them consistently, uh, and they have been assigned. We have pray them, pray them every uh, Saturday and Sunday, and they are assigned through different prayer partners throughout the week. And so we're asking everybody now to pray them every day. So when you're praying with your prayer partner um, this week, add those two prayers if you're not already praying them. Uh, some people are praying more than the other. Some are praying both. I think we keep them paired all the time uh, because um, it's obvious that witchcraft is fueling this. And then the innocent bloodshed calls for more witchcraft. And so... Uh, I think I saw a post yesterday. There was a man, a doctor, uh, coming out of an abortion clinic, and he didn't even have a human voice anymore. He was given totally over uh, to the devil. And so if nobody's ever seen manifestations of demons that crave for innocent blood, I think that's a good one to to, well, not a good one, but that's an example. Uh, none of them are good. Uh, and so we take authority over those demonic uh, influences, but they do cry for innocent blood. They cry for uh, innocence, period. And that's why you see so many child abductions now. Uh, people, the devil likes to split families and get kids away from both parents so that they're not properly watched over and cared for. And so people, and all, and then on the other side, people are calling for their right to paid for daycare. You understand what I'm saying? And if you're a believer, you kind of look back and say, now, wait a minute, this is adding up too well to two and two equals four. Got me? Be suspicious of anything the world does. Don't be so quick to jump on the world's bandwagon and, oh, I have a right to this. Let's march for this right and that right. Um, you've got rights in Christ that you haven't even tapped into yet. You know, most of the body of Christ, we haven't tapped into a small percentage of what belongs to us. But I believe that we can and we can do more for God. There'll be more that you'll be able to stand before the Lord and say, God, I did not stand for the shedding of innocent blood and the taking of innocent life. I stood for life. I stood for peace. I stood for righteousness. And that's got to be the report of the church. Amen. That's got to be our report. And it won't happen if we don't pray and we don't give ourselves over to 
uh, making choices in everyday life that promote life and not death, that promote uh, encouragement of life and encouragement of faith. So we have to make that stand, folks. It's no longer uh, we can just do what we want to do and ignore the obvious. It's too obvious now to be ignored any longer. So that's what we do. Amen. So we have our assignment and we always look to God for what he wants us to do. <clears throat> And to be obedient to that. So so why don't we get started? Father in heaven, we thank you. We bless you and we praise you. We thank you for the opportunity to come before your throne of grace so that we can find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. So we love you, Lord. We bless you. We praise you. And we magnify you. We lift you up, Jesus. You're worthy to be praised and adored. And we thank you, Lord. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Mr. Jan, why don't you come up here for a minute and thank you, Lord. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, praise God. Just stand in front of me. It's good. Praise God. Oh, I see you got your flat shoes on today, huh? You, you go get prayed for. Come up a little bit more. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. The Lord is saying he's removing some barriers that are attempting to hinder you from the good life and the free life that he's uh, ordained you to live in. The Lord says, you are my daughter. You are blood-bought. You belong totally to me. And the Lord says, I'm removing every hindrance. To you doing my will. Every hindrance in your thought life. In your imagination. And in the situations in the natural that you consider to be natural barriers. And the Lord says that he. The enemy wants you to be bound. Why don't you turn around for me. Thank you. Keep turning. The enemy wants you to be bound in such a way. That you will not be unwound. But the Lord is saying, turn the opposite, I'm unwinding you from the things that the enemy has tried to place on you as restrictions in your life. No more to be hindered, no more to be restricted, but free to minister, free to be blessed, free to go forward, and free to do my will, says the Spirit of the living God. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Amen. <clears throat> Praise God. Somebody took my Bible. Where my Bible at? They stole my sword. Hang on. Oopsie. Shooby dooby doo. Um you want to see if you see my my black Bible, that big one, my coffee table Bible. <laughs> Remember those days? <laughs> we thought the bigger with more gold gold trim on it. <laughs> then we found out we couldn't carry it anywhere. Hallelujah! You done, Miss Jan? Okay, all right. <clears throat> Praise God. Amen. 
Oh, Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to come before your throne. And we thank you, Lord, to open up the eyes of our understanding that they would be enlightened to know the hope of our calling in you. And we bless you, we praise you, we magnify you. You are worthy to be praised and adored, glorified and magnified. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. Amen. So I'll have a Bible uh, come in here in a minute. Huh? Yes, that's it, darling. Where'd you find it? It was. I can't preach without that Bible. Some people do, though, but I ain't one of them people. I'm not here to give you a pep talk. I'm here to give you the word of God. Amen. Some people are so inflated in their importance They don't open a Bible, don't quote the Bible, don't, and keep people entertained for hours. I mean, you know, they can go on and on. I said, man, that's a gift if I ever saw one, but it ain't in the right direction. (laughs) The only help we have is the word of God. You can see how the enemy's stealing it from us, you know, on a regular. So, you know, make sure whoever you listen to, they're preaching. They got a Bible open and they read from it and they have you follow in it. As they go, we don't want to hear no happy talk and positive affirmations. And I mean, that's just stolen from the word, from the world. You know what I'm saying? Let's do a positive affirmation. Listen, man, you got to give me something to hit the devil with. Are you kidding me? I can be as positive. I can be positively beat up every time I go to do something if I keep this nonsense up. I'll run. I'm telling y'all, run from that kind of nonsense. Now, you have a right to know God's word. So, praise God. So, the Lord asks you this question. Who am I? Hmm? Who am I? Mm-hmm. Everybody, you know, we all had them pieces. Remember the lists we used to memorize? And <laughs> we quit. <laughs> Because on a day-to-day basis, a list doesn't help you, does it? But what helps you is what you know and what you know about God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, <clears throat> a Bible, and this was even speaking to believers at the time. And it's interesting because <clears throat> if you want to answer that question, you have to understand who you are, where you came from, first of all. Amen. And uh, that's a very important question. There's some p- political woman who's running around trying to claim to be Native American. But she's not. Huh? And all the claiming won't make it so. You are either are or you are not. You got me? That gives you in heat big trouble. (laughs) You got me? (laughs) Because she's apologized about ten times and still apologizing. You got me? And, And Because when you think about it, think of what that means to try and steal an identity that doesn't belong to you. See, that's an offense against heaven, whether she understands it or not. 
Why is it an offense against heaven? Because God made you who you are. You can't steal that from somebody. Look at Jacob and Esau, the trouble that that would cause. So it's more than just filling out some papers for convenience sake. It has to do with much more than that. So we're going to talk about who you are. But in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12. Verse 11 says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. But when when I became a man or woman, I put away childish things. And that should be true of everybody. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know even as I am known. And so what the writer is saying here is that there is something in man that allows him not to see everything as clearly as he ought to see. He said we see through a glass darkly. In other words, it's like wearing uh, shades or tinted glass everywhere you go. But all it's even more than that. It's having your understanding of things darkened. When I say darkened, I mean there's been an influence put over your visibility that obscures truth, makes it fuzzy, makes it hard to grasp, makes it hard to put together and understand. So what he's saying is our understanding is darkened. Our ability to know certain things is darkened. And so, but he says there will come a time where we will see uh, clearly because we'll see Jesus as he is and we will be face to face with him. So your life now is at a stage where you know some things about God. You can embrace some things about God, but you don't have the fullness of understanding of all things. That's why God has ordained a system to help his people with knowledge, with spiritual knowledge. We call it the church under the leadership of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher under Christ. Amen. And so he gives gifts unto men so that we can have our understanding enlightened and we can have our our the revelation of Christ brought, brought closer to us so we can see his features better. We can see and understand what he wants better. But the question we have to ask ourselves is who am I as far as our identity is concerned? Because if you can't see clearly, that revelation of who you are must be brought to you. It must be brought back to your conscious awareness and your conscious knowledge. In the beginning, when God created man, it was clear and obvious who he was. Adam and Eve were created sons of God. Jesus is the firstborn of God. So there are many, many sons of God. When God creates uh, whatever he creates, He creates out of himself, out of an image that he forms within himself. So the angels were even considered to be sons of God because they had life in them. They had the God life in them. So when you have somebody's life in you, that makes you kinfolks. 
So the angels were the first kinfolks of God. And God decided one man, one day to make man in his image and not angels. Man was created in God's image. And so because there is an enemy of God, we don't understand how Satan could get iniquity in him, mess himself up like that and become the enemy of God. But one day he decided he wanted to take heaven over, which means he wanted to kill God. That's why he wants to kill us because we're made in God's image. That's why God demands an eye for an eye, life for life, et cetera, et cetera, because we are made in his image. He wants to get rid of the God killing spirit from off the earth. Other than that, none of us are going to make it. If that thing's not dealt with, none of us have a, 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 a hope for living in a secure way. That's why it's trying to be taken from us now. I don't care what country you go to. There are laws and infractions that will will have people uh, put in jail, tortured, beaten, put to death, whatever, because of what they believe. And if you believe in the one true and living God, you're on somebody's death list somewhere. It's because we carry his image. And if we don't bow to certain powers, they threaten us with death. And many of them have the authority to carry it out. So we are people who are living here in a hostile realm, a hostile environment that's hostile to God. And hostile to his creation and especially hostile to the ones who bear the image of his son. And that's us. And so when we understand what we're up against, we will try even more diligently to see Christ as he is, to understand who we are and understand the mission that God has given every man and every woman. We have, there is a mission and a a desire in God's heart to save everybody. It's not his will that anybody should perish. But you can only come to eternal life through repentance. So you got to let go of something in order to have God. You can't have both at one time. So in the beginning, it was clear and obvious Adam and Eve were sons of God. They call God Father in the garden. It doesn't say that specifically, but if you are a son, you know your relationship to the father. Parenthood is something that cannot be reversed or denied. Your kids are always your kids, whether they own you or you own them or y'all fall out or y'all friends or whatever, they are always yours. So the worst uh, um, report about a child is when somebody looks at that child and say, oh, you're so-and-so's? Huh? Because they don't, somehow it doesn't fit with the outside observer. You know, if you have a, say, if you're uh, a Christian and you're a law-abiding person, you got a kid that's always in jail somewhere, they say, I can't believe that's your daddy. I I can't believe you came out of that household. Because there's a resemblance, there may be a physical resemblance, but that's where it stops. So if we're made in God's image, he wants us to resemble him from head to toe, top to bottom, in every aspect of our lives, 
And that includes inside as well as outside. The outside cannot be negated. But it's the inside that God wants to deal with and that he wants to change into his glorious image more and more every day. Rebellion causes man to resist parental authority and identity. Iniquity does that. Huh? It's very common for children when they get a certain age to start to run away from their God-given identity. Huh? They want to do their own thing. I want to, I'm, nah, mama, you can't tell me what to do no more. I'm, uh, uh, huh? So he's do what, uh, whose mother, somebody's mother said that I ain't worried about you. I'll meet you in the throne room. Huh? Oh yeah. So you don't ever get offended. That's kind of normal for kids. You know, I'm, I'm on my own. I make my own money. Got my own house. They renting, of course. You own, they rent, but they got their own stuff. So, you know, you kind of want to respect that, but not too much. You understand what I'm saying? Keep them, keep them right on the radar. You know what's happening with them. Amen. So every kid, as a show of their grownness, there's always something they want to do to prove they grown. When I was younger, it was smoking and drinking. If you was smoking and drinking, you was grown. Huh? With Christian children, it's always something different. You know, they want to get out on their own. I got to get my own apartment. I don't like them. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can go into church every Sunday. I have to go to church all the time. I don't got to go to the... Well, you don't have to do nothing, really. But you will have to live the consequences of rebellion, huh, if you don't. So, like my dad used to say, he said, yeah, you can do what you want to do, but can you handle the, the fallout from it, huh? <laughs> can you handle that? Hmm? And so we have to understand that when we were estranged from God, we lost our identity. We lost who we are. Now, the story of the prodigal son tells us that, that people can lose their identity and who they are. If it's not firmly established and embraced by that person, it's possible for them to walk away from who they really are and walk into another life the prodigal son they say he was he all his money left real quick and that's what happens to money you don't earn for all of you who want to give your kids everything and well i work hard so my kids won't have to really did it hurt you I mean, if you really want to invest something in them, invest something that cannot be wasted and thrown away. Now, invest some character, invest some morals, invest some some understanding of who they are and what their responsibilities are. Invest something like that in your children. And it's a you'll get a payoff on that. But this kid demanded the inheritance that he had coming to him and his father gave him everything that would have come to him at that time 
I always like to let my money ferment in bank. Huh? You get a little interest. Sometimes if you can wait a long time to use it, you have more. Just a thought. But he got impatient for what he thought was his. His father gave it to him. And he went out and the money left real quick. Because it will do that. You don't work for what you have. You don't have respect for it. He didn't even respect his father. He didn't respect anything about his upbringing, obviously. Because an inheritance is best when it can be administrated by the one who is giving it. Because they have the blessing of wisdom that you don't have. So the father didn't argue with him, gave it to him, allowed him to go out, do what he did. And the the Bible says that one day the son looked up and saw that he wasn't even allowed to eat the garbage that they threw to the pigs. Your kids will survive rough times, folks. They're only too rough when they decide to turn around and come back. Up until that time, they're not too rough. Parents have a uh, sometimes a tendency to want to rescue their children. They know when to come home. I know the Bible. I'm just reading y'all what's in the Bible. Huh? Huh? Experience is probably the worst teacher in the world. In some things. If you have experience without wisdom and knowledge, you're in the school of hard knocks without it even being necessary. You can go into things with God's wisdom and understanding and rely on that. You learned a lot better. But it says that when he looked around and saw where he really was, that's kind of interesting. Because <laughs> before it was party on, party on, breaking the lawn, breaking the, you know, party on dude. Wasn't that but a party up until then, until he got hungry. You know, a good sign of your kids learning their lessons when they start coming back home to eat again. <laughs> That's when you know they, you know, they about right now. Let me just keep praying. Huh? It's true. They start sneaking in to get a meal here and there, sitting up there at the table and smiling at you. Says, Mom, I'm so glad to see you. Whether they say that or not, they're glad to see you. But he said he came to himself. So what that means, he realized he wasn't a sinner like those people were out there. See, parents will say stuff like, you've been raised better than that. I I didn't raise you. You don't have to tell them that. Let God tell them. Huh? (laughs) God will tell them better than you can. They'll wake up one day and say, no, wait a minute. I was raised better than this. That's the best place when they can tell themselves. What you say to yourself is what goes. So he found his identity again. He found it in the pits. 
and he felt so bad about what he had done, he said, I think I'll go back to my father's house. Once that idea gets in their heads, it's stuck in there. But you need to let them come to that decision on their own. You do it through prayer. All you have to do is see them coming back. Keep that vision of them coming back to the Lord. I don't care if they come back to your house or not, but come back to the Lord. But the devil likes to kidnap and co-op people. We were hijacked by the devil in the garden. So that's why people tend to obey him. Because he rules as the prince of darkness. He rules in the darkness of this world. No matter how we try to do what's right and good, it only incurs more darkness. So that's why a lot of times people aren't ready to get saved until they'll, they have gotten to the depths of the pits and then some. You know, it's a young man. I heard a young man (laughs) give his testimony. And I thought to myself, I said, I want to shoot you myself. You know what I'm saying? He's, yeah, well, you know, I was, I was, oh, I was, I was raised in the church. I was raised, you know, parents and them. And I know my mama was praying, praying for me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, don't ever think that your prayers are prolonging their stupidity. If you didn't pray, they'd be stupid forever. You understand what I'm saying? No offense to you and, you know, your your child, but you know what I'm saying. Stupid comes on everybody that's in darkness. Sin makes you stupid. You do crazy. <laughs> you look at somebody, you look at people and say, huh? But, but anyway, this young man told his testimony and he got involved with drugs and then he was a drug dealer he said yeah and i was sitting in the back seat and these two guys uh i owed them money and they i said between the two of them and one of them shot me in the head he said and then i found out my mom later on i found my mom had been praying for me that night and and i recovered and and, you know got back and they said and then you gave your heart to god no i (laughs) i mean the devil execute you and God saves you and you still go out and go back and start doing. Keep praying, mom. It's working. You may not like how it's working, but it's working. Amen. So we have to come to the light of Christ in order to find out who we are. Your identity. See, you can't see who you are without light. And as long as the enemy keeps your life shrouded in darkness, you will never know your true identity. So your identity comes when the eyes of your understanding are enlightened. It comes when someone preaches the gospel to you. It comes when somebody tells you about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's light. That's why God commands us to go into all the world. That's a commandment. It's not something that we have. And I'm as guilty as anybody else. You know, when you're... When you're uh, on fire for God and, and all revved up and ready to go, it's it's easier than when you have to carve time out of your personal life now to go and do these things. But that's what he's commanded us to do. We must at all times and and always be ready to give an answer, but also pray for God to open doors for us to share Christ with people. That is very much necessary. Because the enemy is working overtime to keep us out of the presence of people who need the Lord. So we are to come to the light of Christ 
and fight the good fight of faith to stay in that light. And that's working out your salvation. So you, you fight to stay in the light of God. You stay, fight to stay in faith. We are working in our new identity, not trying to attain it. So it's not like you're, you're almost in his image or you're almost completed or you're almost anything. You're working in that as far as you're enlightened. So we operate in the amount of light that we have at the time, but we are always striving to work in a greater light. So we want more of God. We want to know more of God. We want to understand more of God, but we already are in Christ working at the level where we have knowledge. That's always true. It's the same thing. Say if you, if you were in college and you were in a professional school, like you're a lawyer, doctor, something like that, and, and people couldn't, people couldn't call you uneducated. Oh, I have education, but it's not complete yet. So we have enlightenment, but it's not complete. We still see through a glass darkly. We still are working in the shadows in some things. But as we walk in Christ, we get closer and closer to that perfect image of him. We get closer. It's exciting to get revelation from God. I don't know how you feel, but when God starts showing me things, I just like, wow, oh my goodness. Lord, I'm 25 years old and I'm just not finding that out. Lord, have mercy. Huh? You understand what I'm saying? It has that effect on you. It's like, God, as long as I've been here, there's still stuff. You're showing me there's still stuff that's in the shadows. There's still stuff that's in the darkness. Huh? I always like smart boys. You know, when I was growing up. And, and you know, I'll say to, to the Lord, I said, Jesus, you're so smart. I love you. You're the smartest Smartest boy I know. Huh? I didn't like them thugs. Huh? I really didn't. I could see they wasn't going nowhere. And I thought to myself, well, you know, I just like the smart ones. And one day the Lord told me, he said, I saved the best for last. (laughs) Isn't that great? Because I knew some smart ones, but there's like, you know, eat with their fingers and <laughs> didn't know the right fork. Not that I knew them all, but I knew that you got two of them up there. I knew which one was a salad and which one was, you know what I'm saying? They didn't even know that. I saw oh, this brother ain't going nowhere. Let me move on. Huh? You know what I'm saying. You just, you like what you like. You're attracted to what you're attracted to. And I think my husband told me some lie about something he knew and I found out he didn't know it. I said, you mean to tell me? <laughs> he said, oh, I knew you was a smart girl. I had to impress you. And oh, whatever. I'm here now. Let's just work with it. <laughs> so whatever. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> it's not a bad thing necessarily. Amen. But but you like people that, that like things that you like. Huh? 
So we always like the same things like that. It helps. I mean, it really does. I mean, it really does. <laughs> okay, let me see. All right, so we're going to talk about our identity, and I thought I'd break it up in a few little categories. I thought we'd start with your birthright. So the first thing that God does is adopt us through the new birth. So we are adopted sons and daughters of God. In John 3, it tells you that you must be born again. Jesus said, thank you, Lord. In verse 5, John 3, 5, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. John 3, 3 says you must be born again. And so he talks about being born of the spirit as something invisible. That the spirit goes where he wants to go. No man can direct the spirit of God where to go. But he knows how to hover over people and reveal truth to them. And that's generally how we get born again. The spirit of God has to keep impressing you with the truth of God's word. So first of all, we are adopted sons of God and we have a birthright. You have a right by birth to the things that you claim in God. You're not just saying you have things. This is not just some kind of hollow confession, but you have a right to it by the new birth. The evidence of the new birth is different for everybody. But God will give you an assurance that you belong to him, that you have been born again. Sometimes you will desire to do certain things that you've never desired to do before as part of that evidence. Sometimes, and, and this is what I like about the Holy Spirit, if you get filled with the Spirit of God, you have vocal evidence that you are a new creature because you have a new language. Mm-hmm. that lady who's out there claiming to be Native American, she don't even know how to speak their language and never bothered to find out. It's just an empty claim. But we don't have empty claims in the kingdom of God. We have bona fide Bible-substantiated evidence that we have been born again, that we belong to God. Why? Because he's given us a language that he created for us so that we can communicate with our father. It's a wonderful thing to have an ability to contact God that cannot be broken ever. See, nobody can take that relationship away from you. You can't be excommunicated out from it. You you can be thrown out of one church after another or, or shunned by one group of believers after another, but you still have that relationship with he's still your father so nobody that's such a bona fide identity that nobody can take it away from you because it's sealed in you by the holy spirit of promise so the holy spirit witnesses to every promise that god gives us and puts in our life but he also gives you evidence on a continual basis that you have been born again you are of the spirit of god 
Now, the devil will try everything he can to snatch your identity from you. Remember the days when people would say, well, the tongues is of the devil. Said it for years, keep you from receiving it. But what did God do? He overrode the lie, showed you the truth. You received it anyway. And then he would tell you it's false. Huh? Well, the devil doesn't give anybody false anything when they ask God for something. I'm going to say it again. Do you think your God is so weak that if you go and you ask for him to give you something, the devil can push him out the way and give you something false? God said, if any man among you, if his children ask for bread, would you give him a stone? He said, how much more would he give the Holy Ghost? God already knew the devil was going to tell us that lie. And he gave your answer for it already. So all you need to do is say, God, is this really from you? And he'll answer that. But my suggestion is start reading your Bible more. So that God will start to reassure you of your relationship and your identity with him. So first of all, we are sons of God. We are adopted sons of God and we have a birthright. That means we have a right by birth to everything that God promises us. We are adopted by the born again experience. We were created as sons and wrapped in human flesh the first time. The enemy co-opted us, kidnapped us from God. Poisoned our hearts and our minds with his iniquity. So that we began to run away from God and seek things other than God. But then just as the enemy was moving in for the kill, God came in and spared us. Adopted us. Gave us new identity, new blood, just like it was from the beginning, but this time better. Huh? The first time he put us in the garden to train us in his ways. To show us the beauty that he wanted us to live in. And the devil comes along and puts them dark glasses on us. Now people say, ate of the tree of the knowledge, and that's true. But I believe he put shades on them, and they thought that was cool. He said, look at these shades. Everybody liked to wear shades. They go, oh, them look cool. Let's put them on. And they couldn't take them off. Amen. Had to wait for God to come rescue them. Take them shades off. Huh? You mean I don't get to look cool no more? Mm, but you'll be saved. We got something better than cool. Huh? We have eternal life. Enemies always trying to play that into something. Living for God, play it into something like a bunch of don'ts. I said, but guess what, devil? What? Guess what I do get to do? Yeah, them don'ts, that's true. I'm not going to serve you. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to backbite. I'm not going to fornicate. I'm not going to do any of that stuff anymore. And then I get to stomp you now. Amen. Instead of the reverse. So we have many, many benefits that come with our birthright. We are born of incorruptible seed, not corruptible. That means... 
that you have a resistance to everything that used to take you down. You have a resistance to depression. You have a resistance to insecurity. You have a resistance to feeling out of sorts in some kind of way. You have a resistance to, you cannot be corrupted. That stuff cannot get in you. It cannot control you. It cannot dictate your life. You have a resistance to avoiding people if you've had differences with them. You understand what I'm saying? You you have a resistance to everything that is of corruption. You have a resistance to every evil. You have a resistance to every bad relationship. You have a resist you have a resistance to all of it. I've had God have make people disappear out of my life. You understand what I'm saying? All you have to do is give him control of your life. Then people don't even show up anymore. I remember when I first got sick with depression and I used to work in mental health. <laughs> yeah, right. The inmates have taken over the asylum now. You know what I'm saying? Or whatever. They all got the keys now. What do we do, nurse wretched? But anyway, all my buddies, my high powered psych nurses and you know, the master's degree doctorate and yeah, you know, all them people. You know, I called one of them. She said, mm, you better learn how to work through all of that. With God. The devil means for evil. God means for my good. See, that's incorruptible. You can't be corrupted by somebody, what they think about you. I don't care how much power you think they have. That's all in your imagination anyway. And nor theirs too. People don't have any more power over you than you give them. Huh? You mean almighty God lives in you and you scare the people? Jesus said, don't be scared of them. They can only kill your body. He said, I can do that and put you in hell. So fear me. And I said, okay, we got that straight. Huh? I don't care who it is. You know, I love my husband dearly, but when it got too tough, I told God on him. Uh, that's all you have to do. Listen, I don't get up. I got up in his face once, but way before we got married and we called it a draw and I ain't done that since. <laughs> Wanted to many times. Huh? I'd say stuff like, well, God, did you tell him what I told you to do? He said, yeah, I tell him everything you tell me to. <laughs> okay. Just checking. Not, not mad at nobody, but just checking. Huh? I mean, seriously, I want the brother to find something out. Who do you go to? You got to go to God. Now, of course, God will translate it into God language. So he... Uh, <laughs> He can understand, but I'm doing the best. I said, God, listen, I, I, you told me I couldn't leave him. And I agreed. So I'm stuck. So what you gonna do? I help a sister out. My God is not Smith and Wesson. Okay. God is God. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
God knows how to make it real, make our covenant real, make our identity real to us. You know, there are certain things that we do in the church we call sacraments, and those were given to us as outward demonstrations of an inward happening. The most important thing is the inward happening, not the outward demonstration. Now, uh, you know, water baptism, we, we use water baptism as an outward show of an inward conversion. But we also baptize people that don't have the inward. You know it and I know it. Most of us experience that. You went to the Baptist church down the street and they signed you up for baptism and they never preached the gospel to you. Are y'all here? What, did everybody go to sleep or quit smelling that food out there? And wake up. Huh? You Catholics didn't even get that much. At least we sat and heard the, the preacher holler. And sister so-and-so got happy. And you didn't feel condemned for a week. You know, you were hoping he didn't preach that sermon that made everybody that wasn't saved feel bad. You got me? So you got scot-free for another week, but you was baptized. Oh, you was baptized. The baptism in the Holy Spirit, though, has evidence. It's real evidence of an inward transition. Amen? An inward happening. Because you receive the gift of tongues from heaven. This is the only way you can get it. And people know what it is who can who can witness to it witness to it so then that becomes the superior evidence really the only evidence of an inward conversion that's it so the fact that you went down and got wet came back up wet you understand what i'm saying that's good as a demonstration of what you believe according to tradition but according to God's demand, it's that power to witness that he wants everybody to have. You got me? Remember, there was I think it was the eunuch that, that prayed in tongues and in, in the, who was it that was ministering to him? He said, well, what's to prevent us from baptizing him in water? So you know the superior gift is the one that the infilling of the Holy Spirit or the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But we have all of those things. We have sacraments to establish our new identity. Amen. So identity is very, very important because we've even built sacraments in the church around those things. So who you are and who God has told you you are is extremely important in your life. Amen. When you receive that inner transformation, that makes you the friend of God. That means that. You lay down your weapons against him. You lay down your negative words against him. You make friends with the rest of his children. You're not the one in the family that causes a disruption of things. You know how that is. Everybody got one in the family. You invite everybody to Thanksgiving dinner and you hope they didn't hear about it. 
because they pick at everybody, want to come in high, want to tell everybody what they did when they was kids. That was, you remember that time you did show and show and so yeah, and I remember what you did too. You little thief. And where you been for the last 10 years? See, them long absences are a dead giveaway. They've been doing time somewhere. So give me that. John fifteen fifteen says he calls us friends. That is a big word as far as God is concerned. Now we're children and friends by the blood covenant. The friendship has to do with the fact that we have laid our weapons down against God. And he holds no more weapons against us. So it is peace through the blood of the cross. Friendship in God's eyes actually means that we don't fall out no more. Now, what does that mean? That means that you cannot hold anything against me and I cannot hold anything against you. And still keep peace with him and peace in the family. Because an offense against me is an offense against him. Just as an offense against you is an offense against him. And God will not have it in his household. He said all y'all going to get along. Because I paid to get along price. I shed my blood so that you don't have to continue to be at odds with each other. I won't even call you enemies because the enemy thing is dissolved by the blood of the cross. You can never be enemies with me again or me, you. It's just not possible. What we have is petty crap. We have offenses that we think are big because they happen to us. Which means that we already too big for God to help. So he needs to bring us down a few pegs. Huh? You were too big and out of control before this happened to you. This is just offense really comes as a reminder or signal to us that we didn't got too big. We didn't got too important to us. You understand what I'm saying? That's why we're offended. The Bible says love isn't that way. So when you love, you humble yourself. But when you cease doing that, you've already magnified yourself so big that nobody can say anything against you because I just won't have it. Got me? It's going to happen, folks. I don't care where you go, how you live, what you do right, what you do wrong. Offenses will come. The Bible says that. Some of them are, are extinguished by God before they even get to you. Did you know that? That you don't receive much of what is sent for you to hurt and harm you. Because God's protection is up there for his friends. Huh? I was sitting thinking one day and I remember finding out something about my husband that I had not known for 18 years. And you know what the Lord showed me? He showed me an arrow 
being shot toward me and a big hand snatched it out of the he said I took that 18 years ago and I held it he said because if I had let it get to you you wouldn't be here you understand me I don't care how bad you think you're being treated. You're not getting much of what's sent toward you. You understand me? God has withheld stuff from us for years. I said, yeah, God, because if I had known, he said, yeah, you wouldn't have married him, would you? Many years ago, I asked God, I said, was I supposed to marry him? He told me yes at that time, but then he proved it to me later. Y'all wake up out there. I mean, don't be so stunned. I mean, this is God. This is his foreknowledge in operation. This is his love everlasting in operation. Because when this thing happened, Thank you, Miss Pat. I appreciate it. When this, she don't want me to fall, but I'm cool with the Holy Ghost. But because when this thing happens, I wasn't even saved. See, before, amen, he died for us when we were yet in our sins. He came for us. He counted us worthy before we were even made worthy by his blood. So you can't tell me the blood of Jesus doesn't cover you from everlasting to everlasting. God gives you privilege of the blood before you even claim it as yours. How can he know all these things and not let on to us? It's called wisdom. There's stuff he's hiding from us now. And we desperately want to know the answer. Huh? He says it's the glory of God to hide a matter from man. It's the, amen, the glory of kings to search it out. So go on, kings and queens, keep searching. I'm not going to even go there today. John fifteen fifteen tells, let's turn there and I'll read that. Because if we're disciples, he calls us friends. That's kind of an interesting concept. I know we claim everything. Can you be a friend of God and hate his people? How can you be a friend of God and love child murder? How can you be a friend of God? Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. See, the friendship is conditional. Huh? Jesus cut a covenant of friendship with all 12 of his disciples, Judas included. But Judas betrayed him because when he disobeyed God, he was not a friend any longer. Friendship was made available to him, but he refused it. Just like friendship with God can be made available to us and we can refuse it. 
It's amazing to me. We have people like, I don't know if this guy wrote this song or not, but God calls me his friend. And he leaves his wife and kids and his whole Christian family. He didn't really know what he was talking about. He's just singing a song. See, we need to quit singing so much and start really getting understanding of what we're talking about. Huh? He can call you anything, but whether you live up to it or not, it's up to you. Learning and following God is a condition of friendship. It's not a static condition. It depends. Just like if if you fall out with me, well, we're not friends anymore. That's kind of easy to understand. Now, we have the potential for reconciliation and to renew that friendship, and that's what God wants to do. But if we're not speaking, we're not friends. Romans 5, 1. Now, this is our condition in Christ. We are justified by his blood. Everything that we have in Christ comes by way of the blood of Jesus. Amen. There's no, there's no non-acknowledgement of that. It says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we also have access by faith into his grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So we are justified. That means you don't have to go around trying to prove nothing to nobody all day long. You're justified. If if you sin, you have an advocate with the father. Go talk to your lawyer. And confess to him what you've done. Huh? Lawyers, you know, I, I, my husband's family had a good friend who was a criminal lawyer in the city of Cleveland. And, and he said, now nah, I know that boy lying to me. I know he lying to me. So I got to ask his mama for some more money. He said, I charge liars more. <laughs> huh? That's a smart man. Because he's going to have to work harder at something to see if he can get some acquittal for his clients. So it's always good to tell your lawyer the truth. Because if you let them go into a situation lying to them and then they later on have to find it out, it's harder for you. So we live in that relationship with God where we go to Jesus and tell him the truth. And listen to the counsel of your advocate. What does he tell you? He said, no, don't come to me like that. You better forgive that person first before you come rushing up in here. See, if we forgive first, we'll find ourselves feeling a whole lot different about the so-called offense. Just saying. It's happened to me. It took me some years to figure that out. But I felt miserable until I forgave. And he wants you to make it a habit of forgiving whomever it is. So he calls us friends and disciples. 
Our condition is that we are justified and holy. We are made these things. We don't come here that way. We are made these things by the miracle of the power of the blood and of the new birth. You are made devil proof when you're justified. First John 5.18 says the evil one touches you not. That means when you stand in the power of Jesus' blood and you know you're justified, that makes you Teflon to the devil. Nothing he says can stick to you. Quit listening to him. Huh? Quit listening. So and so don't like, they don't like you. When that starts, just go someplace else. You know what it? <laughs> Say, oh no, I know this one's wrong. I ain't been concerned about that in so long. It's pathetic. Isn't it light, nice to grow up in God's son, y'all? It's a good place to be. But the evil one touches you not. So you don't touch him either. Colossians 1, 13 through 14 tells us we are redeemed from the power of sin and forgiven. So you are redeemed means that somebody paid a price for you to not have to sin and not have to pay the penalty when you do sin. I'm going to say it again. See, religion doesn't like that second part. Because, see, we all want to, when somebody do something wrong to us, we want to send them to hell immediately. Do not pass gold. Do not collect nothing. Don't get washed in the blood. Are you wrong now? I know you're wrong. I ain't got licensed papers to send you to hell. Well, you don't get to. You get to show mercy. Because you're going to need it tomorrow. You're going to need it in five minutes. You understand? And so the Bible says, see, God is, is very strict on keeping accounts with certain areas. And forgiveness is top on the list. He says, if you don't forgive them, I won't forgive you. Now, we may think we don't care, and that doesn't matter, because we right. We know we right. We know we didn't do nothing wrong. Huh? He says, it doesn't matter. See, when you on the wrong end, when you step, put your foot in your mouth and step out there and do something that causes harm to people, you want mercy. Huh? So you're going to have to give it to get it. That's what God says. You don't get nothing along them lines that you're not willing to give. So we are justified and devil proof. We are redeemed from sin and forgiven. Forgiven in the God sense is not what we think it is in the human sense. Huh? In the human sense is, you know, Miss Pat, came up to me and slapped me. And I said, I forgive you. Roll my eyes. Then instead of going home, I wait outside the door for her to come. (laughs) That's the old Cherokee way. You know, you you wait 10 years, you get them. (laughs) Tomahawk chop. Oh, we want vengeance. See, we can be liars when we want to be. We can mouth the words, but not feel it in our hearts. 
But I believe that God can get us beyond that point. You know, faith people would say, well, we forgive them by faith, you liar. God can do better than that. Now, I mouth the words just like you mouth the words. But you need to go to God and say, God, I'm not feeling it right now. Make that real to me. I want forgiveness in my heart to be just like it is in your heart. I want to be able to treat people as though there's nothing ever been wrong in that department. People are coming through hell every day. And if the blood of Jesus isn't powerful enough to help them forgive sin, you know, you take some kids who have been abused for years of their life and it never stops. They think it's never going to stop. How does God restore somebody like that? Especially if the perpetrator isn't ever convicted, ever found it. You know, that's that's a hurtful thing. That's an anger producing thing. Well, if the blood of Jesus isn't powerful enough to restore that and repair that and heal that and bring that back right, we're selling people a false bill of goods. You got me? So if it's real enough for that situation, it's real enough for your situation. Most people, their grievance is way out of proportion to what really goes on. Because God has has neutralized all of that with the power of the cross. Talk about somebody who didn't do anything wrong. It's our Savior. And to not forgive people is to tell him that what he did is not adequate for your situation. It's an insult. It's an affront. Don't let yourself ever be guilty of that. So we are justified. We are redeemed. We have fellowship and kinship because we are are available or able to draw close to him because of his shed blood. Remember those days when people would say God is going to get you and you got scared forever about that? Those days are gone. Why? Because of the blood. It erased all of that. So you can draw near comfortably and without fear. You know, the only times you don't really want to draw near to God is when you want to hold on to your estrangement. Well, and see what you don't draw near because you know what? We don't admit it, but we really mad at him a little bit, a little ticked off about something. Or we think we prayed and prayed and prayed. Believe, believe, believe. Confess, confess, confess. And it's not here yet. So what you do instead of drawing near to God, you go over here in the corner and say, I wonder what I'm doing wrong. You don't really want him to answer because if you did, you'd be over here where he is asking him. Huh? But see, if you can wonder, you don't really want an answer. You just want to stay estranged and mad. Because your flesh feels that it's doing everything it's supposed to do. So it's always your flesh that accuses God. God wants you to have it so bad 
He's almost tired of hearing you confess. And he's almost tired of hearing you pray. He's almost tired. He said, why don't they just believe me consistently enough for me to give it to them? See, when you let go of faith and you start wondering, remember all the nice sermons, all the tapes we ever listened to? Wondering is wavering. Let that man think he'll get, don't let him think he'll get anything from God. See, we indict ourselves with our own thoughts. Wonder what's wrong. Huh? That's why you don't get an answer. Nothing's wrong. The blood of Jesus made everything right again. That's why nothing's wrong with, that's not, there's nothing wrong with your confession. There's nothing wrong with your faith. There's nothing wrong with your believing. There's nothing wrong with your prayers. Just keep doing them. That's what faith does. We can stay in a quandary for years, wondering, wondering, wondering. You gotta kill that devil. Gotta make him leave you alone. You gotta quit under entertaining doubt. Everything about you is right. Jesus made it so. Ain't nothing wrong with you. The Bible says you're complete in him who's the head of all principality and power. What more do you want? Well, you left out one. No, I didn't. The head of everything. He's Lord of all. Let's see, we don't really talk to him. We wonder we don't talk to him because we don't really want an answer. Your flesh doesn't want you to get that answer. Is the problem. Your flesh wants you to keep wondering. And keep thinking it's too late. You won't get an answer. Too much time has gone by. Yada, 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 yada. Your flesh is there to rob you. Of what your prayers have already prayed for for you. Or paid for for you. Your flesh wants to, you know what your flesh does? It moves you to a different address while you're waiting on a package to be delivered. Huh? You ever had something, you know, you, you know you're supposed to get a delivery and it don't show up? You'll tear up everything trying to find out where your package is. Well, the flesh moves us out of the realm of the spirit where our package is being delivered. And it moves you over to address unknown. Because it will never find you there. Your answer will never find you except you be in Christ, in the spirit of God. Your answer will find And you know what we hate? That we got to do this again. We got to keep doing this. Keep being obedient. Keep being good. Keep not cussing somebody out that we want to. Keep not telling people off. Keep cooking for my husband. Keep praying for my kids. Why do I have to do everything all the time? Because that's your J-O-B. Oh, I ain't special. No. I'm not doing the extraordinary. No. That's your hysterical flesh. 
Your flesh is nosy. Your flesh loves to get over in your spiritual business and give you an evaluation of what you're doing. Huh? That's why I always tell people, I say, well, when you're, when you have a life of prayer, you're an intercessor, you will be the most underrated, talked about, minimized, played down, overlooked person on earth. So get, get ready to get low with it and stay low with it and know that your reward is in heaven and you get rewarded every day. For your obedience to God. There are things that you you can come in here with a pain or a disease. And get rid of it in, in one prayer at the altar. You got people in churches and they got to go to the doctor all the time. I heard some preacher. I thought he was going to give a testimony. He prayed for somebody. He said, yeah, when he came back from the doctor. I'm saying you sent somebody from the altar to the doctor. Come on, dude. I told Tony, I said, turn that stuff off. That stuff darkened my understanding. I don't even want to get mad at people like that no more. It's a waste of time. You know, I used to go to God mad. I said, God, how come they got all the money? They never answered me. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? It's because we don't live in the same realm they do. When you live by faith, you don't have to see everything that's yours. They do. Romans 8.1 tells you what your condition is. You are free from condemnation. Condemnation is perpetual guilt about something. Can be real or imagined, but condemnation is a perpetual guilt. You're freed from that. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says that. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. You are established and sealed by God. Philippians 4, 13. You are victorious through faith in God. And powerful to do all that Christ commands you to do. So there is nothing that God expects you to do that's above your pay grade. Huh? If it is, he'll increase you. It's not a problem for he gave you what you started out with. He can increase you. All he wants to do is get somebody in that place where they need to minister to somebody. Huh? And he'll up your your pay grade. You know, you, you want to pray for people and just, oh God, I, I just, you know, I never prayed for anybody who was sick. I don't know if I can. I can't do that. Well, you just ain't really got in front of nobody who was sick and God moved on you to do it. Huh? Listen, there's nothing in you that you desire to do for God that you are not currently capable of doing. Did you hear what I said? If there's a desire there, why would God put the desire in your heart and then not let you do it, not equip you? The desire, the the unction comes with as a result of the desire. 
The Bible says, what things soever you desire, believe that you receive them and you'll have them. God doesn't put the desire to pray for sick people on people who don't have any faith for healing. It won't come to them. So don't worry that you're above your level of ability because you've never done it before. There's a first time for everything. When somebody first offered you a drink or a joint, you didn't turn it down because you never did it before. You said, ooh, I've been waiting to do this. Same thing with the things of God. He puts the desire inside of us for those things. So many people that have, that had healing ministries had grave sickness in their families, had family members that died from disease. God has to get the desire to see people well in us no matter what. But sickness is so common. He doesn't, I'm not saying he makes people sick for that, but sickness is just there. He moves on somebody to hate sickness enough to want to talk to him about it so he can equip him to, to take care of that. First thing you do is start devouring your Bible. Reading about healing 24-7. Understanding everything about healing, you just grab for it. You think you're just browsing through books? You're feeding a hunger. And that's how God prepares people. He can't prepare people who don't want or desire to do these things. Hey, shut up, baby. Now, come on. You can do better than that. Thank you, Jesus. I'm almost done, okay? You can tear it up after that, I guess. But not now. I'm not for it. But God wants us to understand. Now, y'all think I'm being mean to that baby. That's A devil has got her talking. You understand me? Cut it out. I never have and I will not share this atmosphere with nothing that's not of God. You understand me? I don't care what little package is in. The littler the better. I like beating up on little things, but whatever. <laughs> no, I'm messing with y'all. <laughs> Cut it out. Disturbing everybody. Ain't big as a minute. Littlest thing in here. Ah, uh, never. Praise the Lord. Amen. But, but God wants us. To be able to know that we have it. And we have it at our disposal. Now you may not feel anointed. You may, I don't care how you feel. It's what God moves you to do on your inner man that's important. You understand me? That's what's important. Expect God. When you hate evil, expect him to show up with power. That's the first requirement. Is that we hate what God hates. And he hates evil and we hate evil and he'll empower us to do good. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word and for understanding. We thank you, Lord, that your people know who they are. Thank you, Lord, that we are totally equipped for every good work. And we love you. We understand what you want us to do. And we bless you and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen, amen, amen. If anybody needs prayer, come on up and I'll pray for you. Praise God.